Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. you bring extra change of clothes, all those kinds of things. Um, but I will tell you this, as a church as a whole, since service is outside, dress comfortable, and it's most likely going to be warm, okay? Um, and the occasional uh, thunderstorm. So just wear clothes. Like, well, I just got drenched, and now the kids are on the bounce house. Um, it's going to be a great time. We're super excited for next Sunday. And uh, thank you guys. As Voyage Church, we're very much on a voyage. And uh, you know, we get a call from the school, which we're so grateful to meet here, and they're like, hey, you can't be in the building. We got to call Audible and make it work, um, but we're thankful that the church is you guys, right? So whether we're in here or out there, we can have church, amen? So it's going to be a good Sunday, and then, kind of crazy, I would really encourage you to be here for the last few weeks of July, because it'll actually be me and Shauna's kind of last time for a month, um, all in August, we won't be on platform. Um, our church, we have a group of overseers. These are the people who pastor Shauna and I. They're casting vision, giving us wisdom and discernment when, we, when it comes to making decisions and, and leading the church. And so our overseers are actually, some are flying in, some are driving in, and they're going to cover the platform for us so that we can figure out life with uh, these two twin babies that are on the way. Um, so I w- I'm telling you, August is going to be incredible. I'm going to try to like, if Shauna needs a nap, I might walk in with two twins, just sneak in the back and listen to a sermon. That's probably not going to happen, I know. But <laughs> she said she might. <laughs> um, she might show up here. But uh, August is going to be so good. But, man, be here the last couple weeks of July as we finish out Live Life Well. And uh, if you're brand new here, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. We've been doing this summer series called Live Life Well, and it's all on this idea that what is the foundation of your life built on? So we've been talking about foundations each and every week. And this week I wanted to talk about the foundation of prayer. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus... Prayer um, is not a suggestion, it's a command. But it's also not done out of duty, it's done out of devotion. And it's very important to understand these two things, that when God gives a command, but you're in love with the Father, you do it because you're devoted to him, not because you're checking off a bunch of rules, right? Obviously, you can see from the song we sang earlier, we are totally fine with breaking some traditions and kicking out some religion, because I believe that Jesus wants to bring absolute freedom, okay? And so prayer, um, maybe for you, you have a, a perspective of, well, you have to be a certain, at a certain place spiritually for, for you to even be a person of prayer. Oh, there's certain people who are called to a life of prayer, and then those of us who just say, like, rub-a-dub-dub, thank God for the grub before you eat. I don't know. Like, it just, prayer becomes this very um, almost anxious thing for many people. It's like, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I've given my life to him, but I'm going to go to this small group and Please, please, please don't ask me to pray in front of people because I'm going to fumble my words, and I, I hear this all the time. I don't know how to pray like so-and-so. Well, if you mean that they say Father God every other word, first off, you don't have to do that. Could you imagine how weird it would be? It would be, hey, Patrick, how are you, Patrick? Patrick, it's nice to see you, Patrick. Patrick, thanks so much for being here, Patrick. And you'd be like, bro, why would you just say my name like 40 times in one sentence? We, we get in these like repetitious things when it comes to prayer when prayer is just talking with God. And so when we say like, well, I can't pray like them, I just go, you don't, you don't talk like them? Well, I mean, that, that's fine, I guess. But you, you're talking with me, so I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying. And so I think we overthink prayer, and when we overthink it, we don't have a foundation of it. When we don't have a foundation of it, we don't have closeness with God. When we don't have closeness with God, we don't understand our purpose. When we don't understand our purpose, we live pointless. And that's not God's heart. That's not God's heart. 
God wants us to know his purpose for our lives, and purpose is found in prayer. So we're going to unpack prayer, and here's the interesting thing about it. Prayer is something that every person who follows Jesus, it should mark your life. Jesus himself was marked by prayer. If you go look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was often waking up early and heading out to pray to the Father. Now, I know some of you are like, wait a second, I grew up in church and was taught it was like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. You're right. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to God, but he is God. Yep. So he's talking, look, I'm just telling you, he was fully God, fully man. Here's the interesting thing about Jesus on earth. Jesus is on earth. He can feel temptation, but because there's divinity present, he's also to resist it so that he can live sinless so that his sacrifice actually works for us. But he felt temptation. He felt pain. That's why he was on the cross saying, Father, if there's, or when he was in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, he was sweating drops of blood, which we know scientifically even tells us that, that they say people can actually sweat drops of blood when they are in extreme anxiety. It, it is a response of the body. When you are in extreme stress and anxiety, your, your sweat glands can actually produce, blood can become can start coming out of him. That makes a whole lot of sense when Jesus understands, I'm about to experience one of the most brutal deaths on behalf of all of humanity, and a lot of humanity is gonna spit at the thought of me and reject me. Knew that he had to do it because he's God, and, he, and because God the Father, and he was the son on earth, I wanna honor you, but please understand, Jesus had a prayer life, and his prayer life was the humanity of Jesus crying out to God because you have a Jesus who you can pray to, and he can say this to you, I know. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. I just lost a family member, and it's unbearable. And then you can go open the Gospels, and one of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus, died, and it says he wept at the tomb, and Jesus can respond to you, I know. I know what that feels like. I know the pain. And that's why Jesus had to be in prayer. Please write this down. When you're in pain, you better be in prayer. When you're in pain, you better be in prayer. Every great revival and move of God that has marked history, you can go look at revivals that happened in the U.S., across the world, um, back in history. Every great revival began with a small group of people committed to prayer and calling on heaven to invade earth. Seriously, go do the research. Go look at great revivals and find out that several years prior on Azusa Street, which was a great revival in um, California. Go look and see the actual history. There was a small group of people for years who were committed to showing up to this little building, praying and calling on heaven. Before, thousands of people came through and got saved. People were healed. There was a great revival. God moved in a mighty way, but it didn't just start with people going, oh, let's just set up a bunch of stuff. Let's just, you know, invite people. There was a small group of people committed to prayer who just continued to say, God, will you just do something great? And, and guess what? God's timeline is not our timeline. But I'm telling you, every great move of God began with prayer. If we think about prayer as a religious, rigid duty, and we think that it has some certain kind of language or some certain kind of vernacular, we end up thinking that it has to sound proper to be effective. That's a lie. Look at me today. Prayer does not have to sound proper to be effective. Prayer has to sound broken to be effective. David wrote in the book of Psalms, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Meaning, God doesn't despise when you're broken and in pain. But if you try to show up, I got it, I'm good. Going through some stuff, but I, I can handle my demons on my own. I got it. And God's looking at you going, I love you, but I'm a God who is kind and generous. I'm not gonna force my way into your life. And I have to despise what you act like 
you're not willing to be broken. I need to see the brokenness so that I can invade. I need to see the brokenness. Our prayers come from a place of we are in need of Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, you will grow in prayer. So wherever you feel like, man, I don't really pray too well. I don't pray a lot. And a lot of us don't pray a lot because we're like, I don't pray good. So if I don't pray good, I'm not going to pray a lot. But you don't need to pray good to pray a lot. You need to be in need to prayer. And I had this thought because I was in the back going over my notes this morning as the team was setting up. And I had Canyon back there, our one-year-old. And he's just, all right, bro, I know what you're saying. And he's looking at me like, I know what I'm saying. I know exactly what I'm saying. I'm pointing at what I want. We're at the point now where it's like you open the pantry, and like you point at something, and he goes, yeah. Like, okay. And you grab something else. You know what this is? like, yeah. And then you finally pull the right thing. He's like, yeah. That's, that's Canyon's communication. Look, his inability to communicate effectively doesn't stop him from talking to his father. Oh, don't miss what I just said. His inability to communicate effectively does not stop him from talking to his dad. Do not let yourself be in a place where I don't pray good, I don't know how to make. Talk to your father. He wants to hear from you. There's a great theologian from the early 1900s, R.C. Sproul, and he said this, if Christ could make one complaint, it would be, my bride doesn't talk to me enough. The bride being the church. If Christ could make one complaint, he wonders if it would be that Jesus would say, my church doesn't talk to me enough. I want to hear from them more. If you're a parent in the room, you want your kid to talk to you, right? Like those of you who have teenagers, they, they get in the car after school. How was school? Fine. It's like, dang it. When they got out of the car when they were six, they're like, blah, 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 and you're like, stop, right? And I'll tell you, if you want heaven to invade earth in a supernatural way, just be intentional how you parent. Stop getting so easily annoyed with a first grader and let them talk and ramble because that's the posture of the father and they might stay in that place when they're a teenager. See, heaven invading earth is not always, everybody at my work got saved. Some of us, it's just being kinder. You ever met someone who's just, it's just my personality. No, you're just a jerk and you need Jesus to change your heart. It's not your personality. You're just a jerk. And you were hurt when you were 12 years old because your dad walked out. And because of that, and you never let Jesus do any healing, you've carried this chip and this bitterness on your shoulder. And you think, well, I'll just handle it myself. And now kids are suffering because of it. Prayer is an invitation for Jesus to invade your brokenness. Start praying. Start praying. So let's look at what Jesus says about prayer. Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 5, Matthew 6, this is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they will be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Wait a second. So Jesus is telling them to pray. Don't be like hypocrites. Don't try to get out in front of people and make sure people, you, the, the heart is not, I want to I get to a place where I can pray really good so that when I'm in a group and I pray, people are like, oh, dad, you can pray. That's not the goal. And if that is your goal, Jesus just told you, that their applause is all you'll ever get. 
But what's interesting is he closes it and says, ask your father who already knows what you need. Well, then why am I praying? He already knows what I need. Well, I, I know a lot of what my kids need, but I love when they come and ask. That just, that just makes the heart of the father respond, right? But here's the other thing about prayer that's so beautiful. A lot of us could think that when it comes to prayer, okay, I got to pray this prayer because this situation's going on, and I got to change God's mind on this thing. Prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. Sometimes what I'm asking God to change, God's like, no, I'm not changing that. I'm changing you so that you'll align with what I'm doing. Because it's my will be done, not your will be done. And so prayer is about God, make me see like you. God, make me love like you. And so Jesus is telling him, he already knows what you need before you ask him. But notice this. I want to be very clear because you could read the scripture and be like, well, here you are in church praying in front of all the people. You hypocrite. Well, chill out. The hypocrite statement is pointing to the heart, the heart posture. Because what does the Bible tell us? It says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So if God looks at the heart, it's not that we can't pray in groups. When the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, it says they were in the upper room, 120 of them, all in one accord, praying together. We can pray in groups. It's not about not praying in front of people. What's the posture of your heart when you pray? What's the posture of your heart when you pray? Is it, God, I need this? God, I need this? Or is it, God, change me? God, change me. God, make me more like you. So then Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. <clears throat> pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. Number one. So the first step to prayer is honor God. Honor his name. Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. His name is holy. You revere and respect God out the gate in prayer. Second, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, second thing attached to your prayer, God, your way, not my way. God, your way, not my way. It's the second thing that your prayer should include. The third thing your prayer should include, give us this day our daily bread. God, give us provision. God, give us provision. God, provide for us. Your job's not your ultimate provider. God is your provider. The Bible says we work unto the Lord, not unto men. You might have a boss and all those things, and that's great. And you should honor God. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And you could have someone who frustrates you, that oversees you, but I'm just letting you know, it's ultimately God is your provider. Here's the beautiful thing about provision. The word provision is a unique word because the prefix pro and then the word vision. When we showed up to Pace, Florida to launch Voyage Church, I was telling some people the other night, we were yeah, we moved here to launch a church. We were at the coffee shop. People were like, where's your church going to be? And we are like, we don't know. Well, we're going to launch a church here. We had a vision. But can I tell you what makes this possible? The provision. Right? When God provides. When finances come through so that we can rent facilities and we can buy equipment and, and all these kinds of things. Right? So we can serve teachers. So we can host and rent a facility Friday night and 65 young adults show up and encounter Jesus. That's what provision does. But here's the cool thing about the word provision. Pro, the prefix pro means to expand. When we have a vision, okay, God, this is your purpose. This is your vision for my life. And God begins to provide. You know what his provision's doing? It's expanding your vision. It's, it's allowing you to see bigger that it's not just, oh, I got a job, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, pays the bills. Now I just got to kind of live for the American dream. Me and my wife going to have 2.5 kids with a white picket fence and maybe get a boat in like 15 years. Like, American dream goes out the window. This is the kingdom reality. 
The kingdom reality is that when I get a vision that wherever I work and wherever God places me, that I am a vessel of heaven, that when I'm praying and God's providing, he's allowing me to see the bigger picture. Wow. I got put at this job next to this person who at first I was annoyed with, but when I got my heart right with God, I realized that God put me there because I was the only Jesus they were ever going to see. God just gave provision and expanded my vision. I can see bigger than what I once saw. So we ask God to provide. The next thing is forgive us our debts. So the next thing that your prayer should include is asking God for forgiveness. And it says, as we have also forgiven our debtors. So it is not a suggestion. It's a requirement for you to forgive. In this room right now, someone is like, you don't know what they did to me? Well, first off, I don't. But I know what you and I did to Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was beaten so badly that his own mother could not recognize him. That was my sin. My sin did that. Your sin did that. And on the cross, he literally said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Don't miss the revelation. There is a really deep revelation there, and I probably shouldn't do this for time's sake. But literally, what they were doing had to happen. And in the statement, they don't know what they're doing is, God, even though they have no clue what they're doing, we can hear it and be like, look at the bad thing they're doing. I think the revelation is Jesus saying they don't know what they're doing. They're actually doing what has to be done to pay for their own sin. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. That you and I, in our rejection of God, when we're born, we were born sinful and separated, that in the way Jesus lived, not giving in to temptation and being the perfect sacrifice allows you and I to have prayer. Without Jesus, you and I have no prayer that works because he's the access to God. We have to forgive those who've hurt us. And I would just say this, probably heard it before, but not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and hoping the person who hurts you dies. That's what unforgiveness and bitterness does to your life. It doesn't work. Forgiveness is not for them. I've forgiven people that I've never talked to again. People who've blocked me, rejected me, that hurt me and did wrong, I forgave them. And I would have loved to have told them, hey, I forgive you. But the forgiveness was so that I could walk in freedom. That's forgiveness. So we forgive because we, are, Lord, forgive us because we've also forgiven um, our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The next thing to ask is, God, help me walk in righteousness. God, help me walk in the right way. Because I don't know about you, but you don't have to spend too much time in the world. I mean, you scroll like four or five scrolls and temptation's at your fingertips. Temptation to be distracted. Temptation for impurity. Temptation for, if you're a parent in the room, to be distracted from those that should have your most attention. Like, it Temptation is right at our fingertips. And so a part of your prayer is not the American way. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm just going to make it happen, son. No, you're not. Bro, no, you're not that strong. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lord, help me in these dark days for darkness not to overcome me, but for your light to push back darkness. Let that be a part of your prayer. And then he says this at the very end. For if you forgive other people. For their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father in heaven will not forgive your offenses. 
I just want you to hear me today. If you are walking holding bitterness or unforgiveness, and you feel a weight, and you feel like you can't press into the presence of God, you feel like you try to read the word or to pray, and just nothing's happening, it's not God's fault. But because you're not releasing forgiveness, he can't release the freedom of forgiveness over you in full. And that's what the weight's coming from. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian and you're not forgiven and you're not saved, but I'm talking about walking in the freedom, right? You can say yes to Jesus, then be offended, and then not let go of that offense, and it bog your spiritual life down. And I'm telling you today, forgive for your sake. Whether they want to talk or listen or not, forgive for your sake. Because we talked about it a few weeks ago. It's the foundation of freedom, amen? So you don't have to be perfect to pray. You actually have to be willing to admit that you're not perfect and that you're in need for prayer to have its effects. Look at James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I love that because um, we can be forgiven of something, but sometimes your healing of something you're struggling with or a past issue is beyond you going, uh, honey, I gotta go get in the car real quick, go for a drive, and then you get in the car, and you're just driving around being like, God, I promise I won't ever do that again, I won't look at that again, I won't drink that again, I won't treat her like that again, but God, I can't tell anybody about this, I can't talk to anybody about it, because I'm too ashamed, and then you think, but I asked God for forgiveness, and I'm good. Yeah, but you can be forgiven, but according to that scripture, you can be not healed. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. So there's forgiveness, and there's healing, and I want both, and that's what God wants for you too. Men in the room, this is going to be most difficult for us. To be honest, to find a godly friend to say, hey, man, I need to talk with you. I've screwed up or I'm struggling or I'm going through something right now and I need to confess it and I need you to pray. Man, if you've ever tried to seem strong, live like, like, you know, I got this, the strongest thing you could ever do is admit your weakness to another man of God and find a man who can pray quick. I'm going to be honest. When someone walks in like into a situation Especially as a pastor, I've been in a lot of situations where I'm around guys. You know, you're around people who don't follow Jesus. Maybe in some setting, maybe it's a flag football field or something. Like, oh, like you're a pastor. And then they try to act all hard. And I'm like, bro, please, a skinny white boy, I will smoke you right now. But I'll be out there and they've just got like an attitude treating me because of, uh, of Jesus. And I'm like, dude, you're not strong. Strength is men who can humble themselves, who can admit when they're wrong. Who can confess and say, oh, dude, I got a group of guys who come and call down heaven when I'm struggling. That's what strength looks like. Ladies, when you think you have to have everything perfect and everything right, and you should be able to handle your home and everything without going to someone and being like, I'm going to freak out. You need women that you can call and say, come to my house. I'm going to freak out. And I don't know the ramifications for the three-year-old. Okay? Like, call somebody. But we have to do this because he's saying, Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so you may be healed. But look at this next verse. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, now this is amazing. This is amazing. Because it's kind of a twofold deal. We pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Right? I want to walk in righteousness. I want to walk in your way, God. But when it says the prayer of a righteous person has much power, please understand it's not your righteousness. It's not your righteousness. According to Isaiah 64, 6, it says that, Our good works and our righteousness are like filthy rags. Now, I probably on the microphone and on podcast shouldn't disclose the Hebrew meaning of filthy rags in full, okay? But let's just say 
bathroom situations and beyond, okay? Like, this is not, like, these, these are dirty rags, okay? God is literally saying in the Bible, when you think you did a good deed on your own effort, looks like that to me, smells like that to me. But when you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says that we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, so when I read the scripture, it says the prayer of a righteous person has much power. It's not John's righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness that now has been bestowed upon me. And when I got a friend who calls and says I'm struggling, I know that this righteous prayer is going to have much power, not because of me, but because of him. Because of him. This is why prayer is not optional. And it's not that it's a duty. It's not optional because we've got to be devoted to it because it's where the power lies. It's where the power lies. Prayer is not for just when you're running on empty or you're down and out. Here's what Americans have done to prayer. I've had the opportunity to go to different countries, mission trips and different things. And I noticed that people with very little pray very well. Pray very well. I'll never forget being in Haiti as a 13-year-old, going to church, and the church was packed out. People were sitting in windows, no AC. I'm talking they had these wooden pews that they built, and dude, like, I mean, my skinny butt was getting scrunched. Like, there was barely room for me. Like, I'm talking packed out. People walked miles to get to church. Miles. We won't drive if it's, like, pouring down rain. And I remember they just said, we're going to do a little bit of prayer to start out. So I bowed my head, waiting for the preacher to pray. The room just erupted. An entire room full of people just calling on heaven, asking God to show up, asking God to bring rain for their crops, asking God to provide the finances so their kids can go to school. And I just remember at 13 years old being like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Because usually in your lack is when you understand the need of prayer. But because we live in a culture that so much, well, I provide and I can get and let me buy and let me get and let me make it more comfortable, we begin to put prayer aside. We've treated prayer as a last resort. I heard it said this way one time. When you run out, what do you run to? That's when you should run to God. Man, when you run out, run to God. And I would say, no, that's not what we should do. I would actually say, whoever you've been running to, in your day-to-day when things are good is who you're going to run to first. And then if that thing can't provide, then you're going to go, well, all I can do now is pray. Listen to me right now and write this down if you're taking notes. Prayer is not a last resort. It's my first response. It's the first thing I run to. God is my provider. He is the only one that can make a way. It is the first thing I do. It is not let me do all these things and try to figure all this stuff out. And Well, we've done everything we can. Let's just pray now. You should have started. Yeah, there might be some things you've got to do and God calls you to do, but every good thing begins with prayer, begins with prayer. And so going to God in prayer is the first response. And here's why. Anybody here when we had our Holy Spirit series, um, if you didn't hear our Holy Spirit series and go back to our podcast, like there was only like two people that raised their hands. That's pretty crazy. Raise your hand if you were here for the Holy Spirit series. Okay, good. The God I never knew. I was just making sure because I was like, there was like 100 people in the room. <laughs> All y'all are new. All those 100 people left after the Holy Spirit series. Well, never do that again. Um, just kidding. We'll do it every year. Um, but do you remember the week that I talked about the fruit of the Spirit? If you grew up in church, you're kind of told that it's these nine different fruit. But according to the actual context of the scripture, it's one fruit. The Holy Spirit produces a fruit, and that fruit within it contains love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's singular, not plural. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? This one fruit that flows. And our job, what happened to me growing up was I focused on fruit. I was like, I need more love, I need more patience, I need more this, that, that. And the Lord told me when I was preparing for that series was, don't focus on fruit, focus on root. Focus on being rooted in my presence, and that will flow. And here's what I wrote down about prayer. 
Prayer allows fruit to flow. But look at Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, which is the word of God, and who meditates on his law, his word, day and night. That person is like a tree. Everybody say the next word. Not everybody said it. One more time. Everybody say the next word. It's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. A tree planted by the streams. The tree stays healthy when it's planted and especially planted by the streams because the stream is a source for the tree. You and I have to be planted in prayer. But notice the scripture. I love it. It doesn't say that it just produces fruit. It says it produces fruit in season. Some of us will pray about something and be like, well, God didn't move. I don't know what's going on. I've been in prayer about it. Bro, you pray for two days. Two days. They were in the upper room for 10 days before the Holy Spirit came, and they fasted and prayed for 10 days. Daniel took 21 days to fast and pray. Some of us are like, well, I prayed and it didn't happen. It says we be planted, and I say we be planted in prayer, and in season the fruit will flow. In season the fruit will flow. You might be praying for something, a breakthrough, a restoration, a family member to be set free, a son or a daughter to come back to God, a mom or a dad to come back to God. And I'm telling you, you keep on praying because if you stay planted in prayer in season, you will see fruit. You will see something come. You will see God move. And so I love the fact that then it says at the end, whatever they do prospers. And I had this thought. If we're planted in prayer, God gives you a new job. Prayer of thankfulness, right? God brings a relationship into your life. All the single people say, hey, like God brings something into your life and your prayer of thankfulness. God takes something out of your life, a prayer of God, make me look more like you. I must not have needed it. I need you more than I needed that. Someone lied about you and gossiped about you. God, help me love them the way you love them. When we're planted in prayer, notice the last part of the scripture, whatever they do prospers. So go ahead and I get a new job, I prosper. I get fired, I prosper. New relationship, prosper. Someone breaks up with me, prosper. Uh, family member passes, prosper. Why? Because I'm planted in prayer. And when I say prosper, I know people will be like, oh, you're talking about prosperity. The Bible talks in the Old Testament a ton about prosperity. But because we live in America, we immediately think it's tied to monetary gain and not prospering in wisdom and peace and love and grace and patience and kindness. That's the kind of prosperity we need. You get all the money in the world. And Jesus says it's, di it's more difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through an eye of a needle. The prospering that God was concerned about was not first being blessed monetarily. Will God do that? Absolutely. We can see that all throughout scripture. Job was crazy blessed. Then God allowed Satan to take it all from him, and then God gave it back triple. Why? Because he knew Job was a man after God's heart, that when everything fell apart, and literally Job's own wife was like, you should cuss God out and kill yourself. And you know what Job's response was? When his kids had died, all of his cattle, everything burned up, literally had boils on his body, was taking rocks and scraping off pus balls off of his body. It's the Bible. I'm just telling you what's going on. You know what his response was when his wife told him just... Curse God and kill yourself. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, uh, takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That kind of response is only founded by someone who's planted in prayer, who's planted in prayer. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Prayer is attached to God's plan for your life. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing. Now, I know what you're thinking. Dude, there's literally no way. Some of you are out there like, sorry, I'm not a pastor. I can't pray 24-7. <laughs> I don't pray, I don't pray 24-7. Um, I got a one-year-old and the twins on the way. If I do pray, it's like, God help, you know. Let me pull something up. So I ain't going to zoom in on this, but this is my wife and I's text message. iCloud's got to catch up. Oh, that's a naked, naked child. I don't know if that's illegal or not. I mean, it's my child. That's weird. <laughs> he was walking with two, these like kid fishing poles, butt naked, walking down the hallway, and I was like, this is awesome. And that'll sound weird on the podcast. Um, but it literally just keeps going. Here's why I bring that up. When Shauna and I started dating, we started talking. And then we started, well, we started talking, then we started dating. And then she broke up with me. <laughs> and we started dating again. She broke up with me one more time. Um, and I was like, just hanging on. I ain't looking for nobody else. If it don't work out, just curse God and die. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> But she was willing to, to put up with me. And so, but when we, okay, that began like, okay, we're dating and then moved into marriage. From, after that last time you broke up with me, we've never stopped talking. Like, there's not a moment in the text messages where it's like, okay, bye. I don't know any married couples or dating couples, like, you've got a text message with someone or, or DMs or whatever. And it just, it's kind of like, you might say, I love you or, Maybe talk to you later, but that's because there's a later. Like the conversation just continues. Here's why we struggle with prayer, but then when we struggle with prayer, we also go, but the Bible says pray without ceasing, and that's just impossible. This conversation just, it's never going to stop till death do us part. Like there's an ongoing conversation. And sometimes we're working through stuff, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's figuring things out. But I just need you to know that a pray without ceasing kind of life I meet people that are like, I need a prayer life. I need to have a better prayer life. I need to get more consistent in prayer. And, and I, I wrote this down. I don't need a prayer life, and I don't need prayer to be a part of my life. I need my life to just be a prayer. Just my, my entire life's a prayer. That this conversation with God, it continues. Yes, there's times where maybe it's more formal. Like I'm at the dining room table with the Bible, and I'm, I'm praying and asking God to reveal his word. Sometimes I, my most often place I pray is the car and the shower. That's just, that's just, that's, that's me. I'm just talking to God, and, 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 and sometimes it's him bringing stuff to my mind. Sometimes it's praying for our church, you guys, meeting a new family, learning about what someone's going through, like all different kinds of things. And it doesn't sound proper. It's just like, man, God, I just pray for so-and-so. God, you just move. God, show up. Like literally just Asking God, just talking to God. And so pray without ceasing looks a lot less like having your head bowed and walking around and being like, God, thank you so much, God, for who you are. Like, that's not going to happen. It's this open communication with God that in a moment, you ever met, met someone, they find out you're a Christian, like, will you pray for me? Like, yeah, yeah, sure, I got you. And you walk away, worst thing you could ever do. Worst thing you could ever do. Best thing you could do is be like, absolutely, come on, let's pray right now. Two things happen. Encouragement to them immediately. Everybody around you is like, why are you praying in publics? 
because I'm planted in Publix in prayer. That's why I'm praying in Publix. But people begin to see it. And the prayer that was powerful and effective for a singular person actually inspires other people. That person goes home and says, hey, babe, I could never believe I saw this guy praying for someone in Publix today. It was kind of weird. But it got me thinking, I really think we need to get back in church. See, I'm telling you that prayer and its effects go way beyond even the thing you think you're just praying for. Way beyond. But here's the other thing about prayer, and i got to give you this before I close. Prayer is not just talking. Prayer is not just talking. Psalms 46.10 says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation, and I will be honored throughout the world. Be still and know that I am God. There is an aspect of prayer that I challenge you to walk out of this place with today. And you can do it anywhere where you can find some peace and quiet. And if you had toddlers, I know that can be difficult, okay? But pray for a miracle. And buy some melatonin. I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> but this is what we would call, actually, um, some of our students from our southeastern site from the church we came from, our pastor kind of taught us this, and then Sean and I kind of began to bring this to our students, was what we called listening prayer. And we would open up, we did chapels on Tuesday mornings for all of our college students. They'd come in, there was worship and a message for just the college students going through Southeastern. And we would start the mornings off a lot of times with a listening prayer. And we would tell them, grab a journal, we're going to play some music, find a spot in the room, just sit down. No, no talking to God. Just sit and just listen, and whatever comes to mind, begin to write it down. Someone would write a scripture down, and it's part of learning how to listen to God, who is your father. And you do understand when you're first uh, newly a child, you don't listen to your parents too well. So a kid will write down like, Psalms 171, verse 1. And they're like, this is what the Lord told me. I'm like, well, that verse don't exist. So you just, it, it's okay. Like, you're, you're trying. Like, you're getting there. But listening prayer was so cool because there would be moments where we'd come back together and be like, hey, what did God speak to somebody? And the student would be like, God had me write down the name Chris. And then someone across the room would be like, dude, I just met a guy yesterday named Chris, and I was praying for him at the park. We were playing basketball. That is crazy. And so we began to just watch how if we just stop long enough to listen, God's speaking more than we realize. And so I challenge you in your life being a prayer, it's not just always requesting and talking. It's stopping to listen. And that listening, I promise, it's most likely not going to be like you in the car being like, you know. Michael. You're going to swerve. God doesn't want you to get in a wreck. The Bible says it's a still, small voice. It's, it's almost this thing that you just sense that he's saying something. And, and can I help everybody real quick when it comes to God talking? God speaking is a part of prayer. And if you're in a situation and you feel like, I should pray for this person. I bet you the devil's not asking you to pray for them. Is that God? God, if it's you, just give me a sign. I'm asking you to pray for somebody. Satan is not walking in the room being like, yeah, pray for them. We spur one another on to love and good works. This is the gospel. I like what the New American Standard says in Psalms 46.10. Stop striving and know that I am God. Stop striving for your prayer life to be perfect, for your prayers to sound perfect before you recognize that some of you, the way that prayer will start is just by shutting up and listening. Sometimes the most powerful prayer you'll ever encounter is just being still in God's presence. And then here's what happens when you do that. Psalms 139, 23 through 24. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Psalms 139, 23 through 24. Um, when you begin to let your life be a prayer, when you begin to 
to pray for others and you're devoted and you're not doing this thing out of duty, when you understand that all you have to do is talk to God, he's not asking for some formality, right? Like, it's not like, I didn't say in Jesus' name, amen. I said, Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. Oh my gosh, it didn't make it return to sender. Like, that, that's, not, that's not how that happens, okay? We, we, yes, we say it in the name of Jesus, and the word amen just means let it be or so be it. That's why we say amen. It is the sign-off to be like, God, what I've prayed, let this be. But once your prayer life gets to that place, when your life is a prayer to the place where you're, you're coming to God and you're listening, he then positions you for some really, really dangerous prayers. And that's what Psalms 139 is. Listen to this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When your life becomes a prayer, he's going to position you to pray some dangerous prayers. I just want to let you know as your pastor, you should definitely go to that place, but be ready. When he begins to point things out, and we might use excuses, well, that's not specifically a sin in the Bible. And God says, I'm not pointing out specific sins. I'm pointing out specific things that you've put above me. I want to be your life. And if you come to me and pray the dangerous prayer of search me, God, you give him permission, he'll do it. But you know why I call it a dangerous prayer? It's not dangerous because you might have to give up something. It's not dangerous because he might say, like, hey, I want you to stop paying for Netflix, Disney Plus, and this because I want you to give it to me. I want you to honor me with the tithe. But whatever the Lord may be challenging you with, he's, it's not a dangerous prayer because it's dangerous for you. It's a dangerous prayer because if you pray it, the kingdom of darkness is in major danger if you begin to walk in what Jesus begins to point out. If you begin to say, yes, Lord, I'll remove it. Yes, God, take it. The kingdom of darkness begins to step back and say, it's getting dangerous. These people are actually starting to pray this stuff. They're asking God to come in and invade their space. They're not waiting any longer to get to heaven. Oh, that they're actually asking heaven to come to earth. And, it, and the hell begins to take a step back. They're, they're, we, we don't have them locked up by religion and tradition anymore. They're actually getting free. And when that happened, cities get flipped upside down. 65 college-age students show up on a Friday night. On a Friday night, college students, when if you went to the majority of America and said, what would you say 65 college students would do on a Friday night? It would be everything opposite of going after Jesus. And we had to cut the night short because they just wanted to keep going and just keep worshiping. And I'm telling you that when we begin to pray dangerous prayers, the kingdom of darkness is in danger. When prayer is a foundation, you'll begin to live life well for the glory of God. Will you stand to your feet this morning? I believe there's people in here. Man, today is the day. Today is the day to take the next step. The next step. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask this question. I have two questions, actually. First question is this. If you are in this room. And you're like, man, I want to pray. I want to go to God, but I don't know how. And I don't know what it means or what it looks like. What it means is that you need a relationship with Jesus. And there's no other way to the Father but by him. If you're in this room today and you're like, I want access to God. I want to give my life to him. Will you lift your hand in this room? If you're just like, I want that. Amen. 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 
Come on. Hands are going up around the room. Now look, this isn't about me making some count. This is about you making something count. So if your hand is up, I know this might stretch your faith a little bit, but I think today is a day, even with our worship, I think God's kind of calling us to another step. If you're in here, we've got our altars open. This is just a space for you to come and pray. Nobody's doing anything weird to you or making you feel awkward. I know some of you are like, crap, he already saw my hand. I did. I saw your hand, and I will come get you because I, I, I'm a pastor like that. Um, but I just give you an opportunity right now. Step out of your seat. People will make way for you. Just come down. We've got that there's space down here. I just believe coming to the altar and having a moment with God, you can move right now. I mean, hands went up all over the room. So I'm just saying, if your hand was up, I'm asking you to move right now to come down front. I will, I will start coming to get people because nobody's moving. I'm just saying. Look, I saw your hands go up. I know I'm stretching. Yes, ma'am. Okay, thank you. I, I'm glad for the one person. Like, yep, I lifted my hand and I'm taking the step. Because I'm just telling you that when you begin to take a step, God's just taking you to a new place. You're okay. You don't have to kneel. You took a step. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's the second question. There's some of you in this room, you know Jesus. You know Jesus, but you're like, man, he's calling me. He's calling me to pray some dangerous prayers. If you're in this room and you're like, I want to pray a dangerous prayer. I'm scared. Will you lift your hand in this room? Yeah, your hands are lifted. Will you come to the altar? This is not a pastor doing the work for you. The reason I'm asking you to come to the altar is something happens when you move. All throughout the Bible, Bible, people moved. People took steps of faith. Could you just pray a dangerous prayer right now? Josh, will you put that scripture on the screen? Search me, oh God. Psalms 139. The scripture's on the screen. If you want to pray the dangerous prayer, it's for you right there. God, if there's anything in me, God, that you want to remove, God, remove it. Heaven, we ask that you would just come right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.